Hello, and welcome to the Digital Rookie Podcast. This is the second part of my chat with senior reporter for Fox Sports, Tom Morris. If you haven't checked out part one, then make sure to listen to that first. In this part of our chat, Tom and I discuss more deeply about what is involved in working in the sports media and journalism industry. Tom's knowledge, experience, and advice is really interesting to listen to, and he also has some great stories from his career so far. If you want to check out Tom's awesome work, head to his Twitter or his LinkedIn. Of course, you can also find his content throughout the Fox Sports websites and news outlets. Make sure to check out my other content on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Rookie Hub, and check out my website, digitalrookiehub.com. I'd love it if you left a review on the podcast and subscribe. Thanks, and enjoy our chat what's involved in the process of breaking a story you know how do you go Good about question. how do you go about you know finding news stories first and first and the challenges involved in doing so well every news story is different so it just depends sometimes you get given on a platter sometimes you get a text message and it says this is happening not from me this is going to come out in 20 minutes and I, I say thank you, and I write the story because it's a trust. It's a trust. It's a trustworthy source. But, but that is rare, and that's a dream when that happens. But it's very, very rare. Okay. Most of the time, you've got to, you've got to unpack it yourself. You might hear a whisper, or you might speak to someone, or you might be able to get it yourself. So each news story is very different. What's what's non-negotiable is that whoever gives you the story, you're not going to tell anyone. I've had my parents, I've had my girlfriend say to me, oh, who gave you that story? I wouldn't tell anyone who gave me any story. Okay. And they say, well, why not? And I say, well, the reason to that is, you know, people talk about protecting your sources. The other layer to it is, I want those people who ask me that I don't tell them to know that if they ever gave me a story, I wouldn't even tell my girlfriend or my parents. So there yeah. has to be complete trust. And you only develop that over time. And I've developed it with enough people that I get enough stories occasionally, but it doesn't mean for a week sometimes I've got nothing I'm like geez I'm actually doing my job here and then you get you get a couple of stories and away you go like today's been a good day with a couple of stories but then tomorrow I might get nothing so it's just a constant battle it's a competitive industry but some new stories take a few weeks to get because you've got to call a lot of people you get lied to a lot other new stories take 25 or 30 minutes and away you go other time the best news stories the easiest ones I reckon are the ones where you know something's going to happen or you think something's going to happen for example like I don't know, you hear that a player's injured himself, but the results aren't back. And you just say to someone, can you just flick me a text when you know? And then when they do get the results, they'll flick you a text and they'll say, this player's, I don't know, done his shoulder, out for three months. And then you can go with it then. So you can sort of prepare in those sort of situations. And they're good, they're good ones as well, but it takes time. And the other thing is no one's really here to help you on that. Everyone's trying to break their mm. own story. So the only way to figure it out is if you, if you work it out yourself. And the only way to do that is by experience. I didn't think I wanted to be a news-breaking journalist at all. Even when I started at Fox Footy, I was happy not doing that. What I've realized is the currency, if you're me um, or any sort of young, youngish journalist, the currency is breaking news. You have, to try, you have to break some stories and tell people what they don't already know. And if you don't do that, then you're replaceable. So that's always in my mind. Yeah. So, And I guess that's where the value of having a really strong network comes in. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, they've got to trust you. Like People have got to trust you. I reckon, I don't know, I'd love to write them all down one year, but I reckon on a yearly basis, I'll, I would actually publish maybe 50% of stories that I know just because you might get told something by someone that says, mate, you can't publish this. It's too obvious where it comes from. This is happening. And then you earn their trust by not publishing it. Yeah. And, then, um, and then down the track, they'll help you out so they trust you. So unless it's a monster, uh, I'll if it's a monster, if it's a huge story, let's say, for example, five players have been caught doing something 
really illegal and it's going to blow up the whole club. The AFL come down, they'll be suspended for a year. You might have someone say, hey, you can't tell anyone this, but this has happened. And I might just say, look, mate, it might ruin our relationship. This story is too big for me to sit on. Whereas if someone tells you, hey, this player's done an ankle, sit on it for a bit. I'll be like, you know what? Someone else gets the story. Someone else gets the story. Because down the track, this person is going to trust me with something else. So you're constantly weighing it up all the time. And some of the biggest stories I've got are not because I've got lucky, but because that person trusts me from a previous thing that's happened beforehand. So I'm always trying to look forward and, and, and pay it forward as much as I can. Right. That, 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 okay. So balancing like the dynamic of your relationships with other journalists. Huge. Or, yeah. Well, that, okay. I, yeah. Huge. It's, it's, it's massive. And like it's often the way you get stories without giving away too much is mm. like someone from Sydney, for example, I'm just picking a club, someone from Sydney Swans might be friends with someone from the Western Bulldogs. So you might get it and they don't care what's happening to dogs. So the, someone from the Swans will tell you what's happening to the dogs or okay. someone from Freo might tell you what's happening in Brisbane because everyone sort of knows each other in the football industry. And then in return, they might want to know what their opponents are doing that week. So the Sydney Swans person might say, we're playing Brisbane this week. Can you find out where this player is meant to be playing or if this player is meant to play? So they'll tell you something about the dogs and you'll tell them something about Brisbane and it all comes from someone from Sydney. So it just, yeah, right. it just happened. I'm just using those clubs hypothetically, but yeah. you've got to, you've got to work your, your, your web in, in that sort of way. And it's an interesting way to go about it, but it's something I've learned. And, it, and it's more prevalent in the trade period, but it certainly happens all year round as well. Oh, I can imagine the trade period would just be like two or three weeks of just nuts text messages. And, yeah. <laughs> Absolute mayhem. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> But the numbers are unbelievable. Like people love the trade period. People are obsessed because everyone's grown up playing, you know, football manager or FIFA. Um, yeah, I'm a bit of a sucker for that. Yeah, or, or, or 2K. And like everyone's a list manager. So everyone's thinking, oh, what if we do that trade? Or what if we get this draft pick? Or what if we trade out this person with this person? You end up, everyone thinks they're moving chess pieces around and it's all hypotheticals. And the best thing about the trade period is everyone's got hope. So mm. you, you, can, you can go from being a supporter of a club that's no good to a supporter of a club that has great hope for the next year with one trade. So that's why everyone's so interested in it. And the numbers on our website, they just show like people are obsessed with the trade period. So you can chase trade stories hard because it's sort of understood that that is what that the trade period's for. It really sustains the footy industry for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I saw there was an article about Charlie Cameron maybe coming to the Blues or something. Like <laughs> we yeah. haven't even finished the season. We're like, what, we're three weeks in or something. And there's already yeah, Seriously, I know. Yeah, it, it can... I mean, players... Not even that. Players can't even sign contracts yet. So yeah. whether Charlie Cameron's going to leave or going to stay at the moment, it's, it's so far away, but it still goes really well. You know, that sort of stuff happens all the time. Discussions with managers and list managers is happening all the time at the moment. Players just can't sign contracts. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a cra- the trade period is a crazy world. And it's, and it's grown year on year for the last decade, unbelievably. Maybe the last decade, probably since Buddy went to the Swans. Mm-hmm. It's just grown so, so quickly. Yeah, so then can you tell me a bit, about like the intensity of your job. So what are, what are some of the pressures that come with, you know, constantly being in the public eye and, yep. or, you know, how do you deal with criticism and keyboard warriors and negative? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm lucky that um, I'm, I'm, this is just how I was born really. I, I, I don't, I don't care about the keyboard warriors. I don't mind replying to them sometimes. Yeah. Just with a pretty straight answer. I always try to rise above. If they had a go at me, I just reply with a, a statement and a thumbs up, but it, it doesn't bother me. A lot of people get really emotional. And a lot of the time, these keyboard warriors are, have a picture of a fire truck as their Twitter profile. Yeah. So it doesn't, <laughs> like, like they're anonymous. So it doesn't, it doesn't concern me too much at all. But in terms of being in, like, in the public eye, like I'm, I'm not a celebrity. I'm, I'm a sports journalist. So it's, it's not why I got into, into the job. I get that 
especially the demographic of young men who like footy in the Melbourne bubble who are aged between sort of 18 and 35. Me. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, like you, like I can be quite recognisable to that sort of demographic because they're watching the Fox shows or they're reading the articles online. They're constantly on their phones. And, but it's not like I get stopped walking down the street on, an, on a Sunday, you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not a footy player. A couple of times, especially during the Big Bash, I got asked, I was sort of walking along because I was doing a lot of boundary riding in the Big Bash for Fox Cricket, and I got asked to sign autographs. I thought, you don't want my autograph. Like, I, <laughs> a, I don't have an autograph. And, and, and B, if I sign it, I feel like a wanker. So yeah. <laughs> that, that's the challenge. Like, if, if, if I'm out at like a bar or something or having dinner with mates, and especially, oh, it actually happened, I was in, um, how old are you, Patrick? 21. Yeah, so I was in Bali in February and that, these group of boys would have been 21s, 21, 22 maybe. And we're at this, at this amazing restaurant having dinner. There was six of us and a group of, I think, six or eight lads next to us, they were, they were getting pretty pissed. And one said to me, oh, are you Tom Morris? I said, yeah. And then they were like up for a footy chat. You know, it was probably like, 10, like 9 o'clock at night. Like, like what's yeah. going on with the Carlton and all this, <laughs> like February. And, and I'm thinking to myself like, and my mates are giving it to me. Like, why? Like, you are nobody. Like, you are not a celebrity. Like, what the hell? So I, I, I actually can't win in that situation. Like, if I'm rude to them and tell them to piss off, like, I'm a dickhead and I would never do that. Yeah. But if I'm really friendly to them and nice to them and talk to them, as I'm, I'm happy to do, um, I'm drinking my own bath water, according to my mates. So I actually <laughs> can't win. And it happens, like, in, 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 in certain demographics. Like, if, in, if I'm at the MCG or, if, you know, if I'm at a pub in Richmond or things like that, where there's a lot of those people that I spoke to about, it can happen quite regularly, but I don't. I don't get sucked into it. Like I'm not a celebrity. Um, yeah. I'm just. A, I'm just a sports journalist, and that, and that's it. And if people want to talk about footy, that's fine. And it's. Uh, it often means that they come up and and they're keen to talk about their footy club. But what they don't realise is that I don't know any more than what's out there anyway. Like recently, someone said to me, "Oh, what can you tell me about Conor McKenna?" I'm like, "Well, to be honest, I don't know any more than what's in the paper. If I knew more, I'd I'd have written it already." So. Yeah. It, it is it is funny. It's unusual. It's taken a couple of years to get used to. And the more, obviously, I'm on TV, the more recognisable I am. But I'm not Eddie Maguire. I'm not a celebrity. And I don't intend to be. I just do the job. And sort of a byproduct of that is that some footy fans in a certain demographic sort of recognise. If they don't know who I am, they sort of recognise me. People sometimes confuse me with Tom Brown or Sam McClure. Hmm. So I guess, oh, is, are you Sam McClure or are you Tom Brown? And I say, no, nah, that's not me. And then they sort of, oh, okay, no worries. And they walk away. It's, yeah. it's, it's, I'm never going to get used to it. I'm never, ever going to get used to it. It's so weird. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So then um, what are some of the challenges of representing Fox? Because you, you're acting under the Fox Sports name. Does that present yeah. any challenges to what you can write or, uh, you know, what you can um, Probably a little bit. I mean, I, I probably couldn't, like if I want if I want it, hypothetically, if I wanted to write that Mark, Mark Rusciuto should step down from his role as director at Adelaide, I, I probably couldn't write that because he works for Fox or it wouldn't be it wouldn't be in my best interest to write that because I'm probably going to work with him at Fox. So everyone's got conflicts of interest everywhere. Every, the Herald Sun, the Age, the Age is connected to Channel 9, the Herald Sun and us are under News Corp. AFL.com is in the same building as, AFL, as, as the AFL. So it would be very hard for Damien Barrett, for example, to write that Gillian McLaughlin should be sacked from the AFL. Mm. It'd also be hard for me to write that because Fox is a, is a broadcaster with, with the AFL. Not that I would write that. But you know what I'm saying? Like the, everyone's got little conflicts everywhere. But on the whole, the, the challenges are far outweighed by the benefits. The benefits are clear. Like, you know, there's, there's people rolling through the office all the time that have played hundreds of games of AFL and won grand finals and, and are well-connected in the industry. And as soon as you get their respect, then, then you can get more stories. You can, you can have a mutual understanding between people. So 
there's always challenges, but I don't think at Fox there are any more challenge, there's any more challenges than there are at any other sports media organization. Okay, interesting. And um, yeah, I guess my last question is, do you have any like pinch yourself moments from your career so far that you can share? Um, probably the first time I was on TV, which was um, July 2017. Okay. And so to set it up, um, there's a big, pay, you might remember, I don't know if you're a cricket fan, but there yep. was a big pay dispute between the, uh, the Players Association and the Players. Yep. Sorry, the Players Association and Cricket Australia um, in 2017. And in the end, it forced the players to strike for I don't know, maybe a month or two, but there was no cricket on at that time anyway. And I was playing footy. At the, I, was, I was back playing some footy for the Old Malvernians and the Vaffa. And I broke my pinky finger and my wrist in the same incident. So okay. I got tackled. And as I got tackled, it broke my pinky finger. And then I fell, my, the opponent of me fell on my wrist. So for a month, I had no hands. Like it was an absolute disaster. Right. I had surgery on my wrist. Oh my, it was so bad. I had to walk to work, which was like 25 minute walk, but in the middle of July, it's not ideal. I couldn't drive anywhere because I didn't have any hands. Okay. I can imagine the rest of my life that I found very difficult. Uh, so I was in a cast on one hand. And then anyway, so I had this sort of impediment, but I had this story that the, the pay dispute had been sorted out. Cricket Australia and the Players Association had come to an agreement around a collective bargaining agreement for the next five years. And the, the paywall was over. Like it was the biggest sports story and I had it. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't write it. Because I couldn't type. Because I, no, I had no hands. I mean, I could, but it was, it was very, very slow. So I was standing in the office and luckily my colleague, who's a ripper, Ben Waterworth, who works for the Fox Footy website, mm-hmm. he, um, I, I rated, for, rated for him. Uh, I spoke, I, you know, he wrote as I, to, as I Like as dictated, I yeah. Um, dictated, thank you. Yeah, yeah that's the you. word. Uh, <laughs> you can tell it's been a long day. Um, and, and so anyway, he wrote the story. Um, I broke the story by about oh, probably about 10 minutes early, which was a great thrill because it was like huge. Like, you know, the paywall's over. Like it was also middle, middle of July, but cricket, that's great anyway. And then they said, I got a call from um, Fox Sports News in Sydney. They said, oh, with the press conference at the MCG, would you mind doing a, um, a live cross after the press conference? And so this is t- mid-2017. And I hadn't done any on-camera work, I think pretty much since uni in 2012. Wow. 2013, sorry. So it's been four years since I'd been on camera talking with a microphone like this. And I was at uni when there was no pressure. No one's, no one's going to watch it apart from your classmates. So obviously I said yes. I hadn't shaved. I had no hands. <laughs> like I didn't, have a ja- I didn't have a jacket on. It was just, anyway, I did it. And I sort of, looking back on it now, I think I probably went okay, but I, sort of, I naturally speak a bit quickly. So my main challenge in my own head, every single time I go on air, I don't get nervous anymore, but my main challenge is just speak slowly. Like you do not speak quickly. If you speak quickly, not only can people not understand what you're saying, but you can't think quickly enough to catch up with your words. Yeah. So it's like a double barrel issue. So I probably spoke a bit quickly then. Yeah, and it was just a huge thrill. Like, like the presenter was like, Tom Morris, like you broke the story. What can you tell us? I was like, yeah, this is a huge day in, in, in Australian cricket, blah, blah, blah. And that's, that was the moment I was like, wow, that is awesome. Like that, that, yeah, that gave me so much of a thrill. And then other moments like when I first was on the couch and I, and I sat there and like Paul Ruse was to my right then Gary Lyon, then Jonathan Brown, then Jared Healy across. Yeah. And I was like, what am I doing <laughs> yeah. on this like on this like staple of a show? I was 26 and I'm sitting there with these legends of the game and they're asking me questions like, what is going on? And then the second week of the show, I broke the Adelaide training camp story that's, that's completely ruined that club for the past two and a bit years. Mm. And for the rest of the year, those guys had just kept reminding me, like, you broke that story, Tom. What can you tell us today about other things? And I was like, these guys... Like I grew up watching Paul Roos coach. Like I grew up watching Jonathan Brown play and loved him. Like Jared Healy is a Brownlow medalist. Gary Lyon, is just, I go for Melbourne, is a superstar of Melbourne Footy Club. So those were probably the two pinch yourself moments 
And then the third, I mean, there's heaps, as you can tell. Like, I can go through a lot, yeah. all these good moments. But the, the, the third one was when I first did um, cricket commentary on Fox Sports. For, it was a state one day. It was the day after the 2018 grand final. And I'd worked the day before at the MCG. I hadn't gone out that night because knowing I had to commentate cricket the next day, which I'd done a little bit of, but not a lot. Mm. And um, But I want to do more, and I've done a bit since. And it was Western Australia. I actually can't remember who was playing. Victoria versus someone at the Junction Oval. And I sat there, and in walks... Ian Healy and Shane Warne and Andrew Simons Crikey. and Howie. And I'm like, what, 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 how am I here? Like, this is awesome. So like, those moments are just great. You know? And what, what you realise is that everyone's, just a, everyone's a really nice, normal person. And as long as you should show them respect, they'll show you respect. But again, you know, there's a danger in getting starstruck and, and everyone sort of feels it initially. When I first started working at St Kilda, Nick Rewalt would walk down the, the corridor and I'd be like, it's Nick Rewalt. Yeah. But then after a while, you realize he's just a normal person. And now, like, I play golf with Nick. Like, he's just a normal person. But when you don't know them, you're like, whoa, that's, just, that, that's a superstar. I guess it'd be the same if, if I went overseas and, and Roger Federer walked past me. I'd be like, whoa, that's Roger Federer. Like, this is unbelievable. Hmm. But then you'd probably get to know him. And after a while, it'd be still awesome, but relatively normal. So it just takes a time to acclimatize yourself with the people you work with and not be starstruck. Because the last thing they want is for you to grovel and be like, oh, my God, tell me about that time you hit 12 in 2006. Yeah. Or tell me that. To, or to warn you, like, tell me about the time you took your 400th test wicket in Sri Lanka in 2004. Like, I don't want that. That's want to be treated like a normal person as well, as everyone does. So they're probably the pinch yourself moments that were... I mean, I've told you about a pinch yourself moment earlier as well when I got my article published on the Saints website. Hmm. That, that, to me, was like, this is... So, I, I shared it on Facebook. Like, the Facebook page came up, um, secured a Facebook page, like, five talking points for whatever game it was. And I just clicked share. I was like, I'm so proud of that. Like, I'm on yeah. the Secure website. I look at it now, I'm like... What, what, like, why was that so big? And the reason was because anytime your name is out there producing content, you should be proud of that always. So uh, in a roundabout way, I hope that sort of answers your question. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, never take it, I, I never take it for granted working in a job that I enjoy every day. That's probably the bottom line. Yeah, and I have to say one thing that I always, whenever I see you on TV or on the couch, you're almost the relatable, you're the kid that made it in the sport. Well, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's probably important to understand for any people who want to be a journalist is like generally, generally people don't like journalists. Like you, you, you start 10 points back on any given day. There's a club that doesn't like you. Adelaide supporters hate me because of what the Adelaide training camp did to their club. And I wrote about but whatever they're emotional. They, they hate me for that. So you've got to get used to being criticized, but I try to be as authentic as possible. I try to be as natural as possible. I don't want to be too intense, but equally there's some serious stories you've got to talk about. I also don't want to give my opinion too much as I spoke about because people look at the go, why is he giving his opinion on deep footy issues? So I'm constantly evaluating how I can be most authentic, but also most professional. And that balance is really important. You know, and I'm young and I get, I'm young for a journalist. I get that. But I think the more relatable I can be, hopefully the more people that can read the content and then click on the website and then the more likely I am to keep a job because <laughs> yeah. in the end it comes down to, it comes down to clicks, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Well, Tom, thank you so much for, you know, all your advice and chatting to me and taking time out of the busy day it is. No, no worries at all, Patrick. Good stuff and uh, good luck with your journey as well. I look forward to seeing your work. Thank you so much for listening to my chat with Tom Morris. If you did enjoy, please do leave a review and subscribe as it's greatly appreciated. Make sure to stay tuned for the next episode. But in the meantime, you can catch all my other content on Instagram and Facebook at Digital Rookie Hub and on my website, digitalrookiehub.com.